Thank you so much. Uh, why don't you grab a seat? Uh, I have about 30 verses to cover, so I don't want you standing the whole time. Uh, but it's so great to, uh, to be stepping into this role and super excited about what God's doing, the way that he's been forming a team uh, around me and, and, you know, Pastor Dan and so many people have been a part of this long before I stepped into it. So I just want to give some honor to uh, Pastor Dan this morning. Let's give him a round of applause. This morning, what I want to do is take a look at a passage that's probably familiar to many of you uh, that grew up in church. Uh, it's the story of Jesus' encounter with the woman at the well. And it's found in John chapter 4. So if you turn to John 3, uh, it, it's right next to it, John 4. And uh, what I'd like to do is uh, just go verse by verse and see what God might uh, speak to us as we wrap up our On a Mission series. Now, just a little bit of context before we dive in. Uh, the Pharisees, or the teachers of the law, have heard that Jesus is gaining more disciples than John the Baptist. And so this is creating quite a stir. Actually, John, John the Baptist's disciples uh, came to John and were upset by the very same thing. They're like, John... Come on, man, like Jesus, the crowds are growing. He's baptizing more and more people. What are we supposed to do? And John's response is just amazing. It's a response that all of us should have. And it is, I should decrease so that he can increase. John recognized his role in the story. And so a little bit later on in John 3, just before John chapter 4, we find out that the, the, the religious uh, leaders have heard that Jesus is gaining more disciples. And uh, that's where we pick up in our story this morning. So John 4, let's start with verse 3. We read, So he, Jesus, left Judea, and went back once more to Galilee. Now he had, he had to go through Samaria. I'm going to bring up a map just so we can uh, just have an idea of, of the context where this is happening and the significance of, of these first two verses. So Jesus left Judea. Judea in the south, and he's heading to Galilee in the north. And here in verse 4, John tells us that Jesus had to go through Samaria. Samaria is this land that is sandwiched between Judea and Galilee. Now to us, this seems like just a, a random detail. No big deal. Who cares? Let's just move on to the good stuff, John. But actually, this little word had is the hinge on which this whole passage hangs. And to the original hearers or readers of John's gospel, the fact that Jesus had to go through Samaria would have grabbed their attention immediately. Why? Because Jesus didn't have to go through Samaria to get to Galilee. In fact, there were three routes that he could have taken. And in Jesus' day, most Jews would have taken one of the two longer routes. 
The first was one along the east, along the Jordan River, and then up to Galilee. The other was west along the Mediterranean Sea and over to Galilee. Most Jews would take one of these two routes. And the reason why is because they wanted to avoid traveling through Samaria. The reason why is because Jews despised Samaritans. Now, it's easy for us to miss this because when we think of the word Samaritan, we might think of the organization that bears this name, Samaritan, Samaritan's Purse, which does incredible humanitarian and international relief work. We might think of the story that Jesus tells about a Samaritan. It's called the what Samaritan? The good Samaritan. So that's, that, that's what we can think of sometimes when we hear this word Samaritan. But for a first century Jew, a good Samaritan was an oxymoron. In their mind, there was no such thing as a good Samaritan. And that was what was so shocking about that story that Jesus told about the Samaritan who showed compassion. In their mind, there's no such thing as a good Samaritan. Jews thought Samaritans were ethnically impure. Samaritans weren't pure-blooded Israelites. They were a mixed race of people, and they were seen as the enemy. They were to be avoided at all costs. There are countless historical accounts uh, outlining the centuries of conflict between Jews and Samaritans and of Jews being attacked and killed when they were traveling from Jerusalem in Judea up north to Galilee. There were generations of animosity between these two people groups. You could not find a least likely place that Jesus had to go. Yet, John tells us, that Jesus had to go there. He had to go through Samaria to reach Galilee. John continues in verse five, he says, so he, Jesus, came to a town in Samaria called Sychar, near the plot of ground that Jacob had given to his son, Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. It was about noon. Now, Jesus is tired. He's been walking in the sun for about six hours. He's sitting by the well or on the well, but he has no way to draw water from it. We learn this later in the story. John tells us it's about noon the hottest time of the day. He continues in verse seven, when a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into town to buy food. So Jesus is alone. He's at the well, he's tired, he's thirsty. And so John tells us a Samaritan woman shows up at the well and instantly in the minds of people in Jesus' day, this woman is trouble. Why? Because when a woman went to draw water from a well, they would go first thing in the morning during the coolest part of the day. 
And they would come to the well together for safety and so they could help each other carry their water jars back to their town. Drawing water was a communal effort. It was something they did together. The only people who should be at a well at noon, the hottest time of the day, were travelers. Yet John tells us that while Jesus was sitting on the well, a Samaritan woman shows up. And this is a big deal because no one comes to draw water alone and at noon unless they're trying to avoid other people. John tells us that Jesus asks this woman for a drink. And in doing so, Jesus does the one thing that would cause this woman to consider interacting with him. He asked for help. In a culture of hospitality, that's the one thing that she couldn't ignore. Check out how she responds in verse 9. The Samaritan woman said to him, Jesus, you are a Jew. And by the way, this isn't a compliment. This is a jab. This is an insult. There's some negative connotation going on here. She says, you are a Jew and I am a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. Now, first of all, this woman is shocked at Jesus' request because he's a man and she's a woman. Now, there was a, a cultural expectation that when this woman showed up, Jesus would have got up and he would have moved at least 20 feet away from her so that she knew that she was safe. Jesus, as a devout Jewish man, someone who followed the religious law, he also should have given some space between he and the woman because she was seen as unclean. And if Jesus wanted to stay clean, he wouldn't be too close to her. Also in that culture, devout Jewish men wouldn't have allowed themselves to be alone with a woman. And if it was unavoid unavoidable, they definitely wouldn't have struck up a conversation with them. Especially a woman coming to draw water alone at noon. In their mind, the risk would have been way too high. Risk of impurity, risk of gossip, risk of temptation. I was part of a, a welcome team for a Syrian family here in St. John. And when I first met them, I greeted the father. I, I extended my hand toward him, shook his hand, introduced myself to him. We had a great conversation. And as I was finishing up talking to him, I turned to his daughter and I extended my hand toward her, but she didn't reciprocate. She actually physically sort of reacted and, and moved away from me and just smiled and sort of nodded her head. And I knew at this moment that I had done something inappropriate. I realized that I had made a mistake. And so when I left, I, I got in my van, I pulled out my phone right away, and I started to Google, shaking hands with a Muslim woman. And I found out that I had broken a cultural, religious rule. Muslim women don't shake hands with someone who's not a part of their family, or that they're not married to. Now, thankfully, the family was forgiving. 
They were very gracious about it. And in fact, we laughed about it later. But the thing is, is I didn't know better. I didn't know what the expectations were. I didn't know like all the cultural nuances. But Jesus, Jesus knew the rules. Jesus knew the cultural expectations. He knew that he shouldn't be alone with a woman. He knew that he shouldn't interact with her. Yet here is Jesus sitting on the well, interacting with this Samaritan woman. The second thing that that pops out, and, and for first century readers or hearers, this would have been so incredibly shocking. Jesus is a Jew. This woman is a Samaritan. Now, if it's not shocking to you, just look at the way that she responds to him. It's like, what are you doing talking to me? You're a Jew and I'm a Samaritan. Jesus, a Jew, is asking her, a Samaritan, for a drink. Now, Jews, as, as I already said, they, they saw Samaritans as unclean. So sharing a drinking vessel with her was unthinkable. People hearing this for the first time would have been like, what is Jesus thinking? Guy's out of his mind. Verse 10, Jesus replies to her and he says, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living, living water. Now, for some of us who have been around church for a while, we know that this phrase, living water, represents the Holy Spirit. But for people in Jesus' day, living water was fresh water from a spring. It was water that was flowing, what we would call running water. In most cases, well water is stagnant. It's dead water. But spring water is living water. It's running water. So the woman thought quite naturally that Jesus was offering her running water. She's thinking Jesus is talking about something in the natural world. And so she says to him, verse 11, sir. Now notice, Jesus has gone from her calling him a Jew to now her calling him sir. Sir, she says, you have nothing to draw with and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob? And this is a jab. Again, she's kind of poking fun at Jesus. She's saying, do you think you're actually greater than our father Jacob? Who gave us the well and drank from it himself? And as did also his sons and his livestock. Jesus answered, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks the water that I give him will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. Now, this woman is still having trouble. They're, they're, have you ever had a conversation with someone before? And it's like you're speaking two different languages and you're communicating to each other. Husbands and wives are looking at each other right now. You're communicating to each other, but you're not really hearing each other. You're not understanding what the other person is saying. This is what's going on here. And so she, she's still stuck. She thinks that Jesus is talking about natural water. So she says to him in verse 15, Sir, 
give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water. She's like, Jesus, you're, you're the solution that I've been looking for. You're going to make my life so much easier. Give me this, this running water so that I never have to come to this well again. She wants what Jesus is offering. But she doesn't realize that if you want to take up Jesus on his offer of living water, you need to first get rid of the stale, stagnant water that you've been drinking. And for this woman, the stale, stagnant water was her marital relationships. Knowing this, Jesus says, verse 16, go call your husband and come back. I have no husband, she replied. Jesus said to her, you're right when you say you have no husband. The fact is, you've had five husbands, and the man you now have is not your husband. What you've said is quite true. This is Jesus. This is like doing some, some moves. I love this. Jesus saw right to the heart of what was going on in this woman's life. She's a relational train wreck. Five marriages up in smoke. We assume that these marriages ended in divorce. We're not sure if it was a legal divorce or, or how they ended. Um, we don't know if those marriages ended as a result of her sin or if she was sinned against. But regardless of the details, she's had five failed marriages. And the man that she's living with is not her husband. Now, in our day, this may not be super shocking. Maybe five might be shocking. But in, in first century Palestine, this was crazy. I mean, this woman's story was enough to keep her village talking forever. Her life is a mess. And Jesus just kind of tosses this out in the middle of their conversation. Now, here's the thing. If Jesus did this to us, if we're having a conversation with Jesus and he reveals some things about our life that are impossible for him to know, if he put his finger on an area of our life that was a mess or that had a lot of pain, we would respond in the exact same way as this woman. Look how she responds in verse 19. She responds by changing the subject. It's genius, right? It's like Jesus is doing Kung Fu. It's like, oh, this girl has some moves too. <laughs> verse 19, she says, sir, I can see that you're a prophet. Now notice here, this, this is kind of a cool progression. Jesus has gone from Jew to sir and now to prophet. I can see that you're a prophet. Our ancestors worshiped on this mountain, but you Jews claim that the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. Now, this is a huge disagreement between the Jews and Samaritans. It's a legitimate theological uh, question, but it's interesting that she brought it up right after Jesus' insight about her marital history. Jesus says in verse 21, woman, now, this sounds harsh in our translations, but the tone of, of, of Jesus is more like, dear woman. 
believe me, a time is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You see, Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know. For salvation is from the Jews. Yet a time is coming and has now come when the true worshipers will worship the Father in the spirit and in truth. For they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. God is spirit and his worshipers must worship in spirit and in truth. Now, even though this woman is changing the subject. I love, I love how Jesus responds to her. This doesn't throw him off. He just rolls with it. He doesn't keep, you know, pressing on this issue about her marital baggage. He treats her with dignity. He takes her theological question seriously. And in his answer, he gives us the best teaching on worship in all of the scriptures. Then the woman responds by saying in verse 25, I know that Messiah called Christ is coming. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. I don't know, maybe she wasn't satisfied with Jesus' answer. So she's like, listen, it's clear that you don't know what you're talking about. But when the Messiah comes, he'll clear this debate up once and for all. Jesus says to her, I, the one speaking to you, I am he. Now, Jesus' answer to this woman is yanked right out of Exodus. In Hebrew, uh, when Moses went to God and said, God, you know, what, what, what is your name? God answers, I am that I am. You can call me I am. Jesus takes the Greek translation of that Hebrew phrase and applies it to himself. He says, I am he. I am God. And this absolutely blows my mind. Not that Jesus is God, but that the first person he reveals his messiahship, his identity to in the gospel of John is a Samaritan woman with a reputation. A woman who comes to the well at noon to avoid the other women because she's had five husbands and is living with a man who is now not her husband. Nothing could have honored this woman more than what Jesus did. John continues the story and he tells us, just then his disciples, Jesus' disciples returned and were surprised to find him talking with a woman. But no one asked, what do you want or why are you talking with her? And then John tells us, then leaving her water jar, the woman went back to the town and said to the people, come see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Messiah? Now check this out. Jesus went from Jew to sir to prophet and now to Messiah. And she leaves her water jar, this thing that actually represents the shame, you know, she, she had to go at a different time of day, the hottest time of day, to draw water because she was avoiding other people. She was, she was walking under a cloud of shame and she leaves the very thing that she came to fill and runs back to the town with good news. What's the good news? What does she say? 
Come see the man who told me everything I ever did. Now, in what world is this good news? All right, I remember having a conversation with my mom when I was a teenager, and I remember her sitting me down and saying, I know what you did last night. That was not good news. All right, that was not good news at all. The thing that was good news was that Jesus knew everything, everything that everyone else knew, but he was the first man who didn't run. He was the first to treat her with dignity. He didn't condemn her in spite of knowing all of the stuff going on in her heart. And that's the thing that's so surprising to her. That's the thing that was good news. That's the thing that was different about Jesus. He didn't, when he looked at this woman, he didn't see her behavior. He saw her thirst. And that's what brought redemption. Religion just tells us to work on our behavior. Well, if you just stop doing this and you start doing this and you, ma you manage all of your behavior, then change will come. But redemption actually comes when we can push our way past that, past the behavior to the deeper thirst that's driving what we're turning to for water. Jesus and the woman, they're, they're at the well, they're, they're talking about physical thirst and physical water, but the whole time Jesus is actually talking about her spiritual thirst and, and the spiritual water that he's offering. Now, here's the key point. How does Jesus get the woman to transition from, from thinking about physical thirst and physical water to spiritual thirst and spiritual water? He says to her, go get your husband. It's as if Jesus is saying, go get that part of you that is most covered in shame, that is, that is most shrouded in condemnation, that part of you that is so full of pain and disappointment. Go get that part, the ugliest part of you, and bring it to me. I already know about it. I'm not surprised by it. Go get it and watch me not run from you. Watch me love you in the middle of it. Watch me invite you to, to lay that ugly thing down so that I can give you something far more beautiful. And that's the invitation that Jesus was offering when he said, go get your husband. He wanted to expose the, that the issue wasn't her physical thirst. It was the deeper longing to be known and loved. Jesus saw her thirst. Jesus doesn't see us the way that we see each other. When we look at people, we see white people and black people. We see rich and poor, conservative and liberal, church-going and unchurched. But when Jesus looks at humanity, he sees thirsty people. Now, some of us turn to religion to satisfy the thirst. Some of us turn to money to satisfy that thirst. Others of us turn to our spouse. We look to our spouse or, or maybe even our kids or friendships to satisfy that thirst. Some of us look to our job 
to bring that sense of fulfillment. Others of us think, if I just do more, if I just do more, if I just do the right things, then I'll satisfy this thirst in my soul. Listen, we, we all thirst. We're all tempted to drink from other kinds of wells. I think Jesus would say to us this morning, how's that working for you? You can keep drinking from the dead, stagnant wells that never satisfy, or we can turn from them and turn toward Jesus and take him up on his offer for living water. Later on in John's gospel, Jesus says, let anyone who's thirsty come to me and drink. Let anyone who is thirsty come to me and drink. And that's the invitation to us this morning. If you're thirsty, if the wells that you've been drawing from are not satisfying, it's because there's a deeper thirst that can only be satisfied by Jesus. His invitation to us today is, come to me and drink. John wraps up the story in uh, verse 39. He says, many of the Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me everything I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they urged him to stay with them. And he stayed for two days. Jesus, a Jew, hanging out with the Samaritans. Not just a one-time interaction, but he stayed with them for two days. And because of his words, many more became believers. They said to the woman, we no longer believe just because of what you said. Now we've heard for ourselves and we know that this man really is the savior of the world. I love this. This woman has this encounter with Jesus at a well at noon. She's had this encounter that has profoundly impacted her and immediately she becomes swept up in God's mission. Immediately. It's not like the text doesn't say she got her life all sorted out. doesn't say that she went through a discipleship class. It's like immediately after this encounter that she has with Jesus, she goes straight to her town if we follow Jesus, he's going to take us on mission with him. That's what he does. That's what he does best. He steps into the broken, ugly, messed up parts of this world and of our life, and he offers living water to thirsty souls. And he invites us to partner with him and to do the same. For this next season at King's Church, We'll be intentionally creating space at, at these weekend gatherings to engage people who don't know Jesus. Would you join us by inviting people to church? Would you be like the Samaritan woman who said, come and meet this man who has changed my life? Would you do that, church? Would you make that invitation to people around you? Let's invite as many people to encounter Jesus. 
the one who offers living water and satisfies thirsty souls. Would you stand with me? Let's pray. Jesus, we're just so blown away by the way you love people. Oh, would you give us your heart, your heart that burns for people, your heart to see as many people experience the life that only you can give. And so we pray in this moment, as we respond to what you've been doing in our hearts, we pray, Jesus, that you would give us the courage to turn from the wells that we've been drawing from that don't satisfy and to turn toward you and to drink the water that gives life. And would you also give us the courage to step out in boldness and to invite people to come and to encounter you and, and, and to be transformed in the same way that we have been transformed. Jesus, you are where the life is. Help us to point others to you so that they may find life as well. We ask this in Jesus' name, amen.